0: Welcome to First Importance, featuring the preaching and teaching ministries of First Baptist West Memphis. We're so happy you've chosen to listen, and we pray that you'll be blessed by this message. If you have your Bibles, I would like to now ask you to join me in 1 Corinthians in chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 as we have asked you to join us over the next month in praying for one person and sharing the gospel with that one person in your life. or Obviously, we want you to share the gospel with as many people who are around you, but we're asking you to to commit to share the gospel faithfully with this one person in your life. I'm reminded of the words of St. Francis of Assisi who said, preach the gospel and if necessary, Use words. People proclaim that all the time. And I want you to know, friends, it is necessary. It is necessary for you to put words to it, to share the gospel. But at the same time, one of the greatest messages that people will hear from you is by your conduct and the way that you act, by the way that you behave and How you interact with your family and friends and those who are around you at work and on the road and in the grocery store. Some of the greatest messages that people around you will hear will be the way that you act. And in a very real sense, the way that you act is the greatest message that you will ever preach and teach. Let me give you a good example of where I preach and teach the wrong thing. Last night, uh, we were sitting in our living room watching uh, the news and watching the weather for the severe weather that that was sweeping our area. And uh, we had put the children to bed. We were watching intently the news and seeing uh, who was now under the warning and, and when our warnings expired. But on the big TV was the, uh, was the news. But I had a much smaller screen that had a much larger place in my attention. Uh, it was my phone where I was watching the Arkansas Razorbacks somehow win against Oral Roberts University. All right. Uh, I'm a big Razorback fan. It feels good to win. We don't always do that. And so come uh, come springtime, it's always really good to be a Razorback fan. And so uh, I was watching that and and I was trying to pay attention, but really my attention was uh, on the ball game. And at one point, Sarah said, hey, Josh, uh, which one are you really paying attention to? And it hit me... Re- of course, I said, well, I'm watching the news. I'm watching... Of course, I'm watching the news. But really, I was paying attention to that game. You see, there was a louder message that was being spoken by what I was doing than what I was saying. And today, when we read our passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 in verses 23 through 26, we will read of something that we do as a church that proclaims something louder... That gives a more distinct message, that gives a more clear picture of what we believe than anything that we can say or do. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23. Hear now the word of the Lord. For I received from the Lord what also I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. the Lord's death until he comes. Would you pray with me, please? Father in heaven, I I now want to scoot aside from this podium and direct all eyes to you. I'm not the groom. You are. Your church is the bride. We are. And, Lord, we want no glory to go to any other but to you. We want to gaze upon you today. We want to see you more clearly. We want to exalt your name. We want to worship your name. We want our lives to reflect it. And so, Lord, now I pray that during this service and by the preaching of your word, that you would cause your bride to be more beautiful and be more ready for the day that you come back and receive us to yourself I pray that you'd preach the power of your gospel through this very weak preacher. It's in the name of Jesus, I pray these things. Amen. Over the last several months now, we've been going through the gospel of John, and our theme for the year is believe. We are rounding chapter 2, and speed is about to be— we're about to really pick up the speed and the momentum as we travel through the gospel of John and looking at our theme of believe— and our desire this year, as we've studied God's Word and looked at Jesus intently in His Word, my desire has been that it has caused you to believe uh, on a more, on a, on a deeper level. My desire is that through the preaching of the Word, through the study of the Gospel of John, that you are more certain and more, and more sure in your faith. I have enjoyed studying the Gospel of John, and my prayer is that it has been beneficial for you. But now we take a break from the Gospel of John to look at this subject of the Lord's Supper. We do so from the book of 1 Corinthians. When we read this book, we can understand it's a very timely book for us. After all, God wrote the book of 1 Corinthians, a letter through Paul to the church at Corinth. And it is a handbook to a church that is struggling with worldliness. There's a new group of believers, a family of believers in the city of Corinth, a place that was so evil, so synonymous with sexual perversion, so synonymous with drunkenness that the word of Corinth, the name of Corinth had really been adapted and people around the world began to use the word to Corinthianize, which means to really make something evil or to, to, uh, to celebrate debauchery and drunkenness. And so Paul, guided by the Holy Spirit, writes this letter to this church that is struggling with worldliness. And there's a lot that he covers. There's a lot. The first thing he covers in chapter 1 is Divisions. He says, some of you guys are really devoted to this, to this uh, servant there at your church name, Apollos. And some of you are really devoted to me and you say, I follow Paul. And yet others say, I follow Jesus. And there are faction, factions amongst you. There are divisions. And Paul says, that's not the way that it should be. It shouldn't be like that. You're born again. You don't follow Apollos and you don't follow Paul. And by the way, Southern Baptist, we don't follow the presidents of the Southern Baptist Convention. And man, praise God, you don't follow me. We follow Jesus He is the head of the church I'm going to let you down I've already let you down In ways that are innumerable I've been pastor here for almost four years What a privilege it has been And continues to be To be able to serve alongside Some of the greatest uh, servants of God In the world I am so thankful for being here I've been a member here, my wife and I I've been a member here for over ten years now And so you know me And some of you say, yeah, I do. Hey, and I know you. So you pick which one you'd rather have there, okay? But the fact is, we both, we all know that we are unworthy to follow one another. And Paul says to the church that's struggling with worldliness, no, 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 You shouldn't be uh, separated. You shouldn't uh, have these divisions among you. You must be united. Jesus is the only one worthy of following. First Corinthians talks about servanthood. All too often, the church becomes a breeding ground for selfishness and for preferences. But Paul will say in the book of 1 Corinthians that we ought to be servants to others who are around us. He speaks of morality and how the gospel affects the way that we speak and the way that we act. He talks about marriage and how the gospel affects that, about our liberty within the church, about church order. He talks about spiritual gifts. He talks about the resurrection. He talks about stewardship. But in chapter 11 Paul teaches us uh, what we as a church or how we as a church should observe the Lord's Supper. Now I know you're probably asking some of you what really is the Lord's Supper? And I'm glad that you asked that question because the Lord's Supper is very important to the New Testament church. God gave his church two ordinances that they must follow. The first is baptism. He says to his church, uh, you must go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It is the job of the church to baptize, not of individuals, not of officials in the church. It is the job of the church. It is the command given by Jesus to the church that we must baptize. That is showing that we have died to sin and are born again. It's one of the ordinances given to the church. The second ordinance, a command given that the church must follow, is the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper uh, uh, is really a a wonderful uh, topic to study. Basically, Jesus, on the night that he was to be betrayed, took his disciples together in an upper room and took part in and celebrated the Passover. The Passover is being celebrated uh, right now over the last, uh, well, since yesterday, or since this, late this past week, the Passover has been celebrated. The first time the Passover was celebrated was in the nation of Egypt. And God's people were enslaved in Egypt. And God sent Moses to come before Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And on 10 separate occasions, uh, Pharaoh would not, and God would pour out plagues upon the nation of Egypt. It came to the time for the last plague. God said, Pharaoh can't ignore you this time because on this last plague, I'm sending my death angel across Egypt tonight. And I'm going to exact judgment on sin. And I'm going to exact judgment on those who are against my people. And I am going to send my death angel to kill the firstborn of of every living creature in Egypt. But God tells Moses, At twilight, you and the people of Egypt, every family, take a lamb and slaughter it. And there, take the blood from that lamb. And I want you to... Paint it on the doorpost. Paint that blood on the doorpost. And when I send my angel to exact the judgment that I rightly can dispense upon all of mankind and he sees that blood over the door, he will pass over your house and move on to the next. And when Jesus and his disciples are celebrating this, many, many, many years later, as he celebrates it, he sheds light on this situation. And he says, listen, as we celebrate this festival, I want you to know that not one lamb, not one drop of blood from any sheep or any goat or any creature has ever forgiven anyone of any sin or protected anyone from the judgment of God. But on this very day, on this very night, events will begin which will lead me to the cross and my blood, my blood as of the uh, perfect spotless lamb will, will uh, make atonement for the sin of all of mankind." And so there he changes the Passover, or really he displays what the Passover really is. And he gives to his church the Lord's Supper, which is now we partake of the bread and of the cup. And Paul shines light on how this occurs. Now there's a lot that we could discuss in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We could go into the mode of the Lord's Supper and we could go into the method. We could do all of these things. But rather, I want to draw your attention to just a few words. Just a few words written here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 26 where Paul says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Today, we will preach a message in a few moments that will be more clear, that will be more uh, vibrant than any message that I could possibly preach from this pulpit. And we'll be preaching it to one another. The Bible says that when we partake of the Lord's Supper together, when those of us who are born again gather together in the local church and partake in the Lord's Supper, we do something. We proclaim the Lord's death until it comes. Not his life, not his miracles, not his resurrection, not his goodness, none of those things. We proclaim his death. I want you to notice with me three things of how we proclaim, three ways in which we proclaim his death by the Lord's Supper. Number one, when we, pro- when we take the Lord's Supper, we proclaim to remember we proclaim to remember. On December 7th, 1941, just before 8 a.m., Pearl Harbor was ruthlessly and suddenly attacked by the nation of Japan. 20 ships were destroyed, 300 planes were destroyed, 2,400 civilians and military personnel were killed on that day, and over a thousand more were wounded. Here is the memorial that sits above the USS Arizona. This memorial was put into place so that we would never forget what happened that day. So that we would never forget the pain that happened that day. Not just so that we would stay vigilant and, and, and uh, be defensive. Maybe that's part of it. But really the memorial is set up so that every soldier still trapped in that hole. So that every soldier who took their last breath on that morning would be remembered. That their sacrifice would not have been in vain. And when you visit this memorial, which I never have, when you visit this memorial, you are reminded of the countless sons and daughters and brothers and sisters and dads and moms that gave their life suddenly on this morning. This memorial was set up so that we could remember but now, many of you, most of you, some of you, were not alive for Pearl Harbor. But I, I know that a lot of you remember this. What about September the 11th, 2001? In Mrs. Webb's geometry class, someone ran in and told our class that the World Trade Centers had been hit by an airplane. I did not even know what the World Trade Centers were. So, how about that for public school education, for Josh Hall? I had no idea what they were. And so I soon discovered what they were. We brought a TV and we rolled in that cart with that big old heavy TV on top of it. And we were watching as we saw these buildings burning. I remember seeing things popping out of the building. And I remember leaning over to my friend. I said, what is that? What is that coming out of the building? And when the cameras zoomed in, I remember seeing what I thought was furniture and maybe pieces of paper or wood. I remember seeing arms and legs attached as men and women jumped out to try to escape the fire that was around them. And so there where the World Trade Center sit, we have a memorial so that we can always remember the people who died that day. Let me bring this home just a little bit. Last week, we celebrated God's faithfulness. Uh, if, if God allows me to be your pastor for the next 30 years, every March, we're going to go out to the parking lot and we're going to remember, I want you to never forget how in the midst of chaotic times when everything was uncertain, God provided for his people. The gospel was still proclaimed. God's people still met together and worshiped and praised. We will never forget. We will never take advantage of it we will always thank God for his faithfulness. Why? Because we need to remember. And when we partake of the Lord's Supper together, we we preach to one another as we take it to remember the death of Jesus Christ, to remember the high price that was paid for our salvation. It's really difficult to do that with these little cups. For you to really understand, I mean, these are easier than the last time we, we tried. It's it been a while since we've done the Lord's Supper. We've been trying to figure out a way to do it right and to do it safely. And the last time we did it, uh, the plastic ripers were so messed up, so confusing on the top, that by the time we all got them open, no one was in the mood to have the Lord's Supper. I mean, grape juice was on our knees and we were sitting there you know, all of us were like that, you know. And before before COVID hit, you know, we had our traditions of silver trays and passing and in order, all of them good and brought up by good people. But it's hard to symbolize what actually happened on the first Lord's Supper through these cups. But when Jesus came up with his disciples and he took the Passover bread— the unleavened bread, the bread without yeast, which represented without sin. And he looked at them and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And then ripped it, handed a piece to Peter, and then ripped it again, handed it to John, and then ripped it again handed it down to Andrew and Bartholomew and Nathaniel. he was ripping apart his body showing what kind of death he would have and he was passing it out for free here my body you need this my death my body torn apart for you then he took his cup the wine it's a little more purple than probably it would have looked like it probably been, would been watered down a lot more probably would have been a lot more red and he poured it in the cup and he took the cup around and he said this is my blood he's not saying that when you take it in it actually becomes his body and his blood that's not what he's saying what he's saying is this represents what I'm going to do. You see, it's not the lamb's blood that's going to save and it's not the lamb's body that's going to provide for you, but it's going to be my body and it's going to be my blood and I'm going to make atonement for my people. When we take the Lord's Supper, we remember his body that was broken for us. It's hard to think of that when you have a little pre-made perfect uh, crunchy, tasteless square, okay? But when you think about his body being ripped open for us, you are reminded of his death. Remember his last words there on the cross after having been beaten, taken in a midnight trial to his own people, and there he was spat upon, nothing grosser to me than being spat upon my granddaddy once told uh, me and my family said don't ever get in a fight but if someone spits on you you do it now that's not good advice that's not good advice but I, I can't think of anything more disgusting anything more filthy and degrading to a human being than to spit upon them they spat upon Jesus they beat Jesus then they took him and Took him to Pilate, and there he was whipped with a cat of nine tails, his flesh ripped from his body. Crown of thorns was placed on his perfect head. He was ridiculed in, in King Herod's court, then brought back to Pilate, where Pilate washed his hands and said, crucify him. And there he walked up Mount Calvary with a cross on his back. And when they got to the top of Mount Calvary, the soldiers took the nails and nailed them into his hands and to his feet. And boy, my last words would have been, my last words would have been, you wait and see. My last words would have been filled with vitriol and hate. I'm going to get you back. I'm going to do this. You just wait and see. His last words were, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. His last words as he hung on that cross were words of grace when for the joy who was set before him from the beginning of time, he breathed his last and he said, it is finished. I've accomplished it. I've taken care of it. The same Jesus who said, no greater love have a man than this. than he laid down his life for his friends, followed through with it, and died on the cross for me and you. And when we take of the bread, and when we take of the cup, we proclaim his death. We remember it, and we never forget it. Not a wooden cross around your neck, not a crucifix in your house. We remember his death and we never, ever forget it. Ridiculed, rejected, abandoned. He gave his life for us. We proclaim to remember. We proclaim his death. Secondly, I want you to see we proclaim to repent. We proclaim to repent. Repent. You see, whether the, while we remember his death, when we repent, we honor his sacrifice. He gave his life for us. We live our life for him. It's written further in the text of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. In verse 27, Paul continues, "...whoever therefore," he says, "...eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord." 28, let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. What he's saying is as we take the Lord's Supper, and as we take it often, we are reminded of what he has done. But you know, every time we have the Lord's Supper here, we have a moment of reflection Our musicians often play and they play so wonderfully when they do. And we give you a time and sometimes people just fritter that time away waiting for the pastor to hurry up and get to the next part. But that time of reflection is intended for you to be going before the throne of God and saying, Lord, is there any sin in my life that I'm unaware of? Please show me today. That deep-rooted sin that I've just excused away is culture and my upbringing. Please show me that sin. I'm a Christian before I'm an American. I'm a Christian before I'm an Arkansan. I'm a Christian before I'm anything else. Before anything else, I'm a follower of Jesus. Lord, show me those areas in my life that I have sinned, that I've overlooked. And Lord, let me repent of them so that I don't take of the cup and of the bread in an unworthy manner. You see, we proclaim his death so that we can remember. And we remember his death by honoring his sacrifice, by repenting. We should live lives of repentance when we take of the Lord's Supper. We're to do so in repentance constantly before him. Saying you're sorry for your sin, turning from that sin. By the way, Christians should be defined by repentance. A lot of people say, Christians are some of the biggest hypocrites I know. Well, then they're not telling you the right message. We're not saying we're perfect. That's not what Christians are saying. We're saying we've relied on one who is, and we're aiming to act like him. We're trying to behave like him. We're letting, we're letting him produce good works in us. So anytime you see Josh sinning, you don't say Josh is a hypocrite. You say Josh is doing just what Josh does. He ought to repent of that sin and turn from it. But you see, we ought to be those people who are constantly, Lord, I'm sorry, I don't want to do that. I, I don't live for self anymore. The Bible says, Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. The church isn't filled with selfish, self-centered, self-aggrandizing people. Self-died when you came to know Jesus. Your preferences don't matter. Now, I want to say that as delicately as I can, because I still want to be your pastor for the next 30 years, okay? And I care about what you care about. But our individual preferences take backseat to God's mission and and to God's way all the time, every time. We're not to be selfish. We're to be selfless. And when we partake in the Lord's Supper, we are reminded that we are to be continually repenting. Hebrews 10:29, by the way, says that whenever we continue to sin, whenever we do so deliberately, it's like trampling on the blood of Jesus. You know, uh, I I don't care for it when I see on the news. Maybe, maybe I'm still old-fashioned, kind of for even my generation. I don't like it when I see the American flag being trampled on or being burnt. I, I don't—I know that I'm preaching to the crowd here, right? I know that there's not, not anyone being here like, no, burn it. You know, there's not, that's not going to happen. But I, I can't stand it. You know, the reason I can't stand it is because that flag stands for something more than just the colors and the fabric that it's composed of. The flag represents— the sacrifices that have been made for this country. The flag represents the servicemen and women. The flag represents our, our struggle over the last centuries to get things right, to do things right, to provide for freedom. And I can't stand when that happens. And most of you are probably the same. Well, you can't stand when that happens. And yet, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, you'll take that bread and you'll take that cup without even coming to the Lord asking him for forgiveness. Listen, I don't say this lightly. Trampling on his blood is infinitely worse and more unacceptable than burning any flag. This is serious. When we come to the Lord's table, when we partake of the Lord's Supper together, we repent. This proclamation of his death causes us to remember his sacrifice remember his death, and honor his sacrifice by our repentance. But finally, I want you to see that not only do we proclaim to remember and proclaim to repent, but we proclaim to remain, to remain. The Lord's Supper does not keep us saved. That's not what it does. It doesn't keep you in the faith, but it pushes you forward. As we take this, as we remember his death, as we uh, continually repent, we stay in the faith. I'll never forget several years ago, I'd gone to uh, be a part of a wedding for a friend of mine in high school. And when I went to visit, uh, my friend's brother was going to be there who, uh, who I had spent a lot of time discipling when he was a youth. And I was looking forward to getting to see this young man again. And so we sat down at the table and began to eat together. We'd spent a lot of time while he was a youth just trying to disciple him, talking about uh, Jesus and uh, his quiet time, trying to uh, push him along in his faith. And wow, this young man showed such promise. I mean, he had read all the C.S. Lewis books and, and he had a, it seemed like a very robust faith. But I sat down at this table with him at a wedding, right after the wedding. and We began to talk and I said, well, buddy, How's your quiet time going? What's your walk with Jesus like? And he looked to me in my eyes and he said, You know, Josh, that's really not me anymore. Oh, oh, my heart was so heavy. Oh, my heart just broke. But I looked back at him and I said, Bud, maybe it never was. Maybe it never was. You see, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, We remember his sacrifice. We continue to repent. And that way we abide in him. We stay in him. The times are getting darker. And while it may look more optimistic in the United States of America, perhaps with uh, with uh, vaccines coming out and all these things, regardless of where you stand on the, the, things that the events of the past year, while things may look more optimistic, I want you to know, church, that times are going to get darker. And there's coming a very real time where the church will be persecuted. And we're going to find out those who are real followers, father- followers of Jesus Christ and those who never really were. And when we partake of the Lord's supper together, what we do is we remain until he comes. We abide in him. The Bible tells us that if we abide in him, we bear much fruit. But if we're apart from him, we can't bear any fruit. When we're connected to him, when we're uh, with fellow believers in church, when we're grounded in his word, when we're partaking of the Lord's Supper, remembering his death, honoring his sacrifice, we remain. So that's what the Lord's Supper is. It's a proclamation of his death. Thank you for joining us for this episode of First Importance. We invite you to check out our other sermons on this podcast and to join us in person on Sundays at 8.30 or 10.45 a.m., as well as streaming live on Sunday mornings at 10.45. We hope to see you soon at First Baptist West Memphis, where we love God, care for one another, and share the gospel.